Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode 214. We are still here in Kentucky. And we are eating well and we are hanging out. People have been so friendly and kind to us. We're really, really getting the royal treatment. Kentucky's been awesome. Today, we recorded at Bourbon Barrel Foods here in Louisville with Matt Jamie. Matt is the founder and owner of Bourbon Barrel Foods, and he is the creator of their signature product, Bluegrass Soy Sauce. Matt is an expert on this. He's self-taught, and he is microbrewing soy sauce. He's doing it in bourbon barrels, and it is delicious. This was a fascinating conversation with a really cool guy doing something very innovative, And everyone we meet here, it seems like, is doing something cool and innovative. And the food scene is really amazing. I want to thank Emily for getting this set up and for coordinating schedules. And to the chef in residence at Bourbon Barrel Foods, Chef L'Oreal, who made the most insane meal for us, gave us just like the royal treatment. These breakfast biscuit sandwiches with egg and this smoked brisket, it's, it's psychedelic. I'm telling you, it is insane. So right there, they have the, the shop for the products uh, for Bourbon Barrel Foods. And then they also have like a restaurant and cafe. It's wonderful. And now that the pandemic's ending, I could see that place just exploding. So this was a really cool one. I love having people who are really masters at their craft. And that's Matt. Really cool and interesting guy. So go to the show notes for this episode. And as always, you'll see uh, Instagram, website, all that good stuff to check them out. When you come to Louisville, this is honestly, like I said, Mama's is first 24-hour stop type of place. This too. Squeeze it in on your first day. It, it will not disappoint. And tell them TV, TV sent you. Okay, lots more coming to you from Louisville, but for now, enjoy this conversation with Matt Jamie. Yeah, actually, for a place with a fast food franchise named after it, we kind of thought we'd see fried chicken everywhere. (laughs) I don't know, like, you're talking KFC, right? Yeah, or, you know... I don't know. We, we've I'm been looking j- for fried chicken. Yeah, we've been I'm looking for the best for fried chicken. You know, I I love fried chicken. I'm a drumstick guy. And there's a place down here, one street over, called Lee's. I swear to God that they pump the fried chicken smell all the way to that fourth lane on the opposite side of the store. And I always turn in when I smell it. That might be our spot then. I mean, it's it's a chain. I'm oh, okay. Good, <laughs> I just Royals. It's hot chicken. Royals is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's more more my speed, I think. All Are right. We going? Yeah, you know, oh, this yeah. is this is some chatter, but uh-huh. um, uh, first of all, you know, thanks for doing this. Uh-huh. Um, I'm fortunate that I get to do this everywhere, and we were out with. You might know Chad Cooley. I think he mentioned you. I know Chad. Okay, yeah. cool, cool. 
So we were out after the, the podcast just having a beer and just listening to him talk about the food scene here. He's just super knowledgeable. And it was going through my head like I'm a massive fanboy of Anthony Bourdain and everything he did. And I'm just like in a world that is existing in his absence, I'm like, man, Chad would have been a, a perfect fixer for a, a Louisville episode on that show. Um, but Bourdain also did a, a program and like the only ever endorsement he ever did was for uh, Balvany and he had a program called Raw Craft. Mm-hmm. And he went around talking to people who, a lot of them doing things real old school, but you know, things done right, the hard way, the meticulous way with a lot of care done to it. Um, and you know, Emily sent me a whole bunch of your product line, which is awesome. And I was thinking about that when we were sampling it at home, like this would have been a perfect opportunity for a raw craft episode. So in my minuscule way here, hopefully I'm, I'm carrying the torch for him. So, uh, thanks for doing this. No, you are, are you actually originally from Kentucky? No, I was born in Chicago. What my, brought you here? Uh, my dad took a job with GE. So uh, he's the, his background is logistics, warehouse management. Um, and we moved down here when I was in the fifth grade. What were you doing before the soy sauce biz? So before I started brewing soy sauce, um, I... I was married. I was living in Gainesville, Florida. Oh, okay. I was in graduate school studying uh, exercise physiology. I did triathlon for most of my 20s, even to the level where I was conducting uh, uh, development camps for junior triathletes. Oh. You know, I thought that that's what I was going to do. A year into the program, and it is a tough program at the University of Florida, um, I realized that I'm not a great student. Mm. This is really hard and wasn't really working out for me. Um, so I left school and cooking was a hobby of mine. And I got a job at a restaurant on the saute line mm. in Gainesville, Florida. And, you know, I was blessed to have met my mentor there because through him and through the work that I did, I was able to realize that my hobby was a passion and that I was very good at it and I enjoyed it and I wanted to learn more and do more, but I was never going to be a career chef. It's not the type of thing you jump backwards into when you've already gotten married, right? Um, that discussion has to happen up front just because the lifestyle is what it is. And so, you know, I, I was angling for a way out of that kitchen. Mm. You know, my, my now ex-wife uh, was a, or is a physician, and so chef-physician were, you know, it's a difficult balance. So I wanted to stay within the food industry, and I was just over, out with a buddy of mine, and... Uh, I said, no one's microbrewing soy sauce in the U.S. (laughs) And he just kind of looked at me and was like, you know, had to make sure that that was a true statement. It was a true statement. And uh, I don't know, I researched the hell out of it for a few years. But why why soy sauce? 
because no one else was doing it. You know, I didn't want to do something that, you know, had already been done. You know, this was about, this was, uh, you know, 19 or 2000, 2001, 2002, maybe. Um, saw a lot of this, you know, crafted element coming to consumer goods. Mm. Um, coffee, bread, butchers, you know, cheeses. Um, and I didn't want to do something that had already been done. And I don't know why. Soy sauce just popped in my head. You know, I, what I know now about soy sauce, I mean, I, I taught myself. I knew nothing about it other than you put it on rice. Um, so I researched it. Had you, prior to this, had you traveled through East Asia at all? No, never. I was not very well traveled until it's a, it's actually one of the things that I, through my company that I've learned to enjoy. Mm. You know, there was a point with Bourbon Barrel Foods where I, maybe I was in year five, maybe, um, which I kept repeating year one up until year yeah. five. Um, <laughs> Where a good friend of mine, a very accomplished chef, Edward Lee, oh yeah, he's like, "Don't tell anybody you've never been to New York City." He's like, "You cannot be in this business and not ever, not ever have, have, have ever haven't been there." It's a know? credibility thing. Well, it's like the, you know, they set the trends for the nation for for food, yeah, dining, all those things. And so I went. My first trip was with him. We went to the James Beard Awards together. I was his date because his wife was pregnant. Um, that was my first trip. Now I've been back twelve. I don't know how many times. At least yeah. a dozen. Um, you know, and I didn't make my first trip to Japan until I had been making soy sauce for ten years. No. Yeah, I taught myself how to do it online. All right. So tell me if my history is correct. Soy sauce has its origins in China, right? That's correct. Okay. So do you, hope, hopefully, you know, do you know if, you know, the, well, I'll ask it like this. How is it traditionally made and produced? traditionally made and produced. Yeah. I'll give you a little bit of background since you brought up China. So there was a monk that landed in Japan uh, on the shores of what is called Wakayama. Wakayama is a very hilly part of Japan, and that's where the birthplace of Japanese-style fermentation is. Okay. At one point, there were probably, uh, I think I, I read there were several hundred soy sauce breweries in Wakayama. Um, that's where my friend Toshio brews his soy sauce, uh, regarded as the best in the world, Yuasa soy sauce. Um, and as the Japanese do with a lot of things, you know, whiskey is a good example. You know, post-World War II, they said, you know, the Japanese will never make good whiskey. Well, they make the best whiskey in the world mm -hmm. now, according to some. Um, so they've perfect, they perfected soy sauce. And they, they kind of own it now. You know, there's not that many people that realize or know that China is where soy sauce was started. Um, so the way soy sauce is made, it, it is a fermented brewed product. Um, it's another thing that a lot of, you know, Americans don't realize is that it's brewed and fermented. Mm. Because when soy sauce came to the U.S., um, you know, it was post-World War II. Um, the current CEO of uh, Kiko Man 
was in business school at Columbia in New York, and that's where the World's Fair was. And so they made a concerted oh. effort to get soy sauce uh, into the American household, you know, by sampling it on cooked meat at the World's Fair. And, you know, they were very successful. I mean, soy sauce hasn't been in the U.S. maybe 75, 80 years. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so because there's that, it's a minimum six months to brew it, you saw a lot of companies starting in the U.S. trying to make soy sauce, create that umami uh, through hydrolyzed vegetable proteins. Like, we want it fast, you know? They didn't want to wait. This was made in a matter of days. There was no fermentation to it. Whoa. So that's Lechoy. Lechoy is hy- hydrolyzed vegetable proteins. I mean, it's, it is a, there's a lot of chemicals in it. You know, it's just a quick, cheap product. Kiko Man is naturally brewed, minimum six months. Now, Kiko Man is like the Budweiser of the soy sauce industry, they brew 200,000 gallons a day in the U.S. alone. They have five plants worldwide, two in the U.S. Um, you know, it's, they have a, a 95% market share of a nearly $7 billion a year industry. Whoa. You know, they spill more in a day than I'll make in a, in a, I used to say a year, but, you know, maybe a month now. Yeah. And it's soybeans, wheat, water. Soybeans. Sugar. Wheat, salt, water. Yeast. Yeast. You know, five ingredients. So our soybeans are non-GMO. They're grown about 45 miles south of here um, uh, by a guy named Barnard Peterson. And he actually contract grows for the Japanese soy and miso market. He also grows our wheat, which is a soft red winter variety. Um, He grows that uh, for different distilleries around the state because not every bourbon uses wheat. But if they do, it's usually the soft red winter wheat variety. Maker's Mark is a good example of a weeded bourbon. It adds that sweetness to it. Um, our water, which is a limestone filtered spring water, uh, also trucked into us from Bardstown, which is where 90 plus percent of the world's bourbon is produced. It is a hard water, but that limestone bed that runs the length of the state removes all the iron you know, from... Uh, from the water, uh, adds that calcium back to it, which gives it some substance and some body, which is why the distillers like to use it. Now, in one of my conversations with Toshio, he, he felt like that water was much too hard to make soy sauce with, but it is a part of our terroir. You know, it, it is our story here in Kentucky. Um, and it kind of goes with the way Americans like to use soy sauce. You know, in Japan, soy sauce is... Uh, meant to enhance. Mm. It should never be forward on the food. If you taste the soy sauce in front of whatever it is you're eating in Japan, it's considered rude, like disrespectful to the food. Here, you've seen people eat sushi and they make that soup with the wasabi and the soy. That's how we like it. And so this hard water really works well for the soy sauce that we produce. And plus, it's a big part of our story. Um, So soybeans, wheat, Water, salt, the only salt made in Kentucky is for ammunition. So it's salt, Peter. So we get our salt domestically from the Pacific Northwest. Okay. Um, uh, the yeast cultivated. It's a koji uh, to make our koji. It's an aspergillus orzai that we use. Um, so those five ingredients, um, our extra ingredient is the bourbon barrel. So we use repurposed bourbon barrels to age our soy sauce in. 
not to to put down Kiko Man, but like they they you are need to. They're mass producing, right? So are they're th- making a lot of it. Are they cutting any corners to do that? No. No, it's six months. I mean, they make a quality product. It's mm. like I I was a Budweiser drinker. Mm. I had respect for it. You know, hot day, it tasted really good. I mean, soy sauce is a good product, or Kiko Man is a good product. There's just others out there. Mm. You know, it's like just because something is available everywhere doesn't make it a bad product. I mean, nobody says that about Tabasco, right? Yeah, that's a good point. So with soy sauce, I mean, the, my differentiation in the marketplace is that, you know, we're making it on a very small, crafted scale, you know, in a very Japanese style, you know, and, and it, it drives me, you know, it, I enjoy it, you know, breaking things down like that um, and watching it come together mm. is fascinating to me. So uh, tell me if I'm correct in this. The barrels that are used to create bourbon are only allowed to be used once? For bourbon, correct. For, it, it, what's the rationale for that? Oh, God, I know the answer to this, but just not mm-hmm. right now. Okay. I just think that when they were making the, the laws, the rules for you know who gets to call their product bourbon, virgin American oak... Um, Aged a minimum four years. Mm-hmm. And there's all the bonded stuff. Um, it does not have to be made in Kentucky, which is what a lot of people think. It just And it's 51% corn. Uh, but the barrels, yeah, they can only use them one time. So you identified, hey, we, there's this vessel that otherwise I assume would be, if it's not repurposed, destroyed, we could try using this as the vessel for the fermentation. Yeah, well... Barrels are like pigs. Like you can use every last bit of them. Ah. Um, when we were, when I, well, I say we now, but when I was developing the soy sauce and how we were going to do it, um, I actually thought it was too expected and kitschy for me to age the soy sauce in bourbon barrels. I was like, that's what everybody wants to see. Mm. I don't know if I'm really going to do that. So I wanted it to look more like a Japanese brewery. You know, I had. Uh, I had bought a big cypress tank, I think it was 1,200 gallons, and I had an order for six more of them. I couldn't get the things to stop leaking. Now, if you've ever visited Woodford Reserve or any of the other distilleries, you see these cypress tanks that are there that they do their fermentation in. Um, they're their showpieces. Um, the same company that makes those also makes all those wooden cypress water tanks on top of the buildings in New York. They're actually based in Buffalo. Oh, wow. Okay. Aerotank company. Um, Well, I couldn't get the things to stop leaking, and it was a frustration. And, you know, during the course of my research on how to make soy sauce, I came across an article uh, called Japan's Liquid Gold, and it was a comparison contrast story that Mark Bittman wrote for Condé Nast Traveler. I believe he he wrote it in 2004. I called the New York Times, and I asked to talk to Mark Bittman. He put me right through. What? I know, right? Uh, he gave me his time. I mean, we talked for a couple hours on, on, a, on a few occasions, and I still hear from him periodically. You know, we're, we're buddies. I, he came through Louisville on a book signing, and I met him finally. Um, but during one of our conversations, 
you know, I'm explaining to him, you know, where I am with things. And he's like, well, why don't you just age it in a bourbon barrel? And it wasn't that I hadn't thought of it. I was just getting caught up in it. And it actually completed our story. You know, list, having him tell me that, I was like, yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. You're right. It actually solved a couple problems for me. You know, they still leak a little bit. Um, but I couldn't at that time afford a kettle big enough to fill the tanks that I was getting ready to buy. And they were 1,200 gallons a piece. I could only afford a 60-gallon kettle. Mm. It's going to take me days to cook that many beans. You know, I've seen sort of like the most traditional way or I don't know, historic or ancestral way that kimchi is fermented in these either like ceramic or clay vessels. Um, is that, you know, prior to, I guess, the modern era, is that traditionally how soy sauce was fermented? Yes. Okay. Yeah, it was, um, you know, they were preserving fish. It was almost like a fish sauce that I think was made um, that had eventually became soy sauce. Ah, uh, that's interesting. kind of found it on the bottom. I mean, like tamari, you know, is a, a byproduct of making miso. It's the Japanese word for accumulate. So um, as you're making miso, there's an accumulation on the top that they ladle off in Japan. And, you know, they, they call it tamari. Uh, we think it's just wheat-free soy sauce. Okay, I was going to ask that. Is it, that's in my it's notes an, here. It's an American thing. Yeah. Uh, so I guess the demand for that comes from sort of like the gluten-free community? Yeah. I see, I see. I do not do a gluten-free yet. You know, we've worked on it from time to time, and it's certainly on a list of things that we want to do. Um, I just don't have a date yet. What's the mechanism of the wheat? Does it just, like, keep it a bit thicker? Uh, no, it's the, the sugars in there with the... You know, I'm not a chemist. I'm okay, not going to yeah. walk through fermentation with you. Yeah. <laughs> but it aids in that fermentation. You know, the, the sugars in the wheat really, you know, help to get things going. And you don't need it, but if you're not using it, I think there's something else that has to be in there. You know, we've tried to make soy sauce with uh, sorghum grain as opposed to oh. wheat. Didn't work for me. So, you know, you're a... Uh, first step on the moon type of person in the barrel aged soy sauce business um, how long did it take you to get this formula and taste and, and product you know right our recipe is very basic you know and it's you know, I mean recipes are they're proprietary you can't trademark them um, I think what makes ours special is the methodology and the story that we've been able to create behind it. Um, mm. You know, I, I've always thought that this is the type of product that you would expect to see if people have expectations. You wouldn't be surprised if someone in California or Brooklyn, where they do a lot of great trendy things, uh, would be making something like this. Yeah. Uh, the fact that we do it in Kentucky... Um, you know, it's a little, you know, it's like, what? You know, it's like a double take. You know, it's, it makes you ask the question, like, why? You know, I always got the, when I was starting and I was writing a plan and I was pitching, it's like, 
let me see what you do with it. I don't get it, you know, I don't get it. And I'm like, all right, well, it's not for you to get. Like, I was blindly passionate about doing this. Yeah, so you seem really confident. I was wondering if there was a, an added layer of pressure, like this is not a Japanese guy, this is a guy in Kentucky. Like, did you feel like I... I for certain crowds have to get this right? No, I really don't feel pressure too uh. much. Um, and I don't know, that was organic. It wasn't, you know, I, I don't want to go philosophical on you. I, I think I was so blind to how to do something like this that it was an asset for me. That makes sense. Like, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I didn't. I knew I wanted to do it and I... Looking back, nothing was going to tell me that I couldn't. I had people tell me, yeah, it won't work. You know, it worked. You know, I, I've done other things with it, with the success that we've had, with, uh, you know, the publicity that soy sauce has gotten. Um, but I wasn't proving anything to anybody. Mm. This is something that I wanted to do. And I... In 2006, when I started, you know, I was hanging my hat on the success of the bourbon industry and noticing that there wasn't anybody doing something gourmet foods-wise or specialty food-wise that was geared towards the bourbon industry. Mm. I mean, you go to Napa and you visit the wineries. You know, they're known for their fantastic restaurants and a very trend-setting gourmet food business, you know, Napa style, Williams Sonoma, you know, and people identify with that. So it's almost like, borrow a horse term here, it's a trifecta. Yeah. And I think that's where the authenticity comes from, though, is the use of the barrel. Correct. Because if you think about it, that's a product that would not be replicated in Japan. It's not necessarily... Uh, appropriating a culture, right? Because you're taking something that is authentic to Kentucky and really making your own. Exactly. Um, and, you know, there's 1,500 small brewers. I say small, smaller than Kiko Man in Japan. There's Whoa. 1,500 of them. Um, but dwindling, you know, it's, it's, it is, uh, you know, they're, they're either closing or Kiko Man's buying them. You know, it's, uh, um, it's a part of let's see the reason why I did that show there the reason why they brought me in was to um, the premise of the show was to take somebody that was doing something traditionally Japanese but not in Japan and then pair them with a true Japanese master almost to kind of say hey look people what we do is pretty cool cool enough that people outside this country think it's pretty cool enough to, to do on their own yeah um to try and you know raise this level of national pride for things that are typically japanese um you know it's it's been fun being the only one doing something i'm still the only well, i'm not the only one in the u.s i'll you know i'll always be the first um it's uh I have helped somebody in Vancouver. You know, he called me as he was starting his brewery. He asked me some questions. I was very open with him. You know, I, I had a guy from Rotterdam fly wow. to the U.S. five times to meet with me. 
uh, and he started a brewery um, in Rotterdam. You know, wow. um, so I have my thumbprint on a few different things, but I, you know, it, it's not because I'm. I want to. It's because I've made myself available. I'm a blonde-haired guy in Kentucky that makes soy sauce. Yeah. Food. It's weird. Um, I used to be the tallest in the world, blondest <laughs> in the world, but now we've got the guys in, in the Netherlands doing yeah. it who are giants and very blonde. Um, the way I look at it, it's expensive and time-consuming for me to be the only one saying why microbrewed soy sauce is special. And I have other people that are doing it and having success with it. They can tell the story with me. And we have a bigger voice. And then it becomes a thing. You know, almost like balsamic vinegar was, you know, years ago, or salts years ago, you know, olive oil, all those things. Yeah, you know, soy sauce can be used on a lot of things. Salt and pepper is used on everything, right? So we have your, your salt and pepper at home. But in terms of soy sauce, that, to me at least, uh, maybe as somebody who's uninitiated, that, that flavor is new. I mean, even like getting the box, before I opened the box, we're in, in the hallway of our five-floor walk-up apartment building in New York, and like you can smell the smoke flavor and smell coming out of that box. It wasn't broken, was it? No. <laughs> but I was wondering about like either your mentor or other masters of the craft or chefs, what kind of feedback you've gotten about the actual product. So when I went, oh, so, all right, there's a couple things here. You know, feedback on it has been great. You know, I, I'm doing something you know, when I wrote the plan, uh, I didn't have anything to reference. You know, no one had started a soy sauce microbrewery in the past, so I had to utilize, uh, you know, uh, business briefs on, you know, microbrewing of beer and how yeah. they saw success early on because they had the same questions. Like, how are you going to compete against Coors or Budweiser? Well, as we see now, it's like they're not. They're their own industry, you know, and so even Sam Adams sells less than 2% of what, of what the market share is, you know? Um, and there's, I don't know if they're still considered a microbrewer or not, but I would think at those percentages, they're still very small. Um, my trip to Japan in, uh, my first one there was 2015. Um, it was validation more than anything else. Um, I knew we were making a quality product and I was very proud of it. I felt like my introduction and my, my interaction with uh, Toshio could have gone one of two ways, good or bad. It went very good. Mm. Um, you know, we've maintained a relationship. Uh, and he said very, uh, very complimentary things about what it was that we were doing. And they were honored that I was doing it here in the U.S. the way that we were doing it. Um, I learned a lot from him. You know, methods that we implemented, like from the set of the show, I was calling production saying, start doing it like this. You know, change what we're doing. Um, and he's made us better. You know, I mean, that introduction, um, you know, was, was pivotal for us. And that we knew we were making a quality product, but, you know, the experience helped me to make it even better. Mm. 
in talking to Chad, I had asked him about bottling and selling his mom's sauces and rubs. And he said that, I believe it was that there was a law, it was really difficult for him to be able to do that. Really just um, navigating the FDA website and... and that Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, I was I kind of got stood up yesterday, but I was supposed to be talking with uh, a brewery. And in researching for that episode, I knew or I had learned that there was some kind of law, maybe just in Kentucky, about like selling the beer direct and they're trying to get things changed. Is... Is was there any barrier to actually selling your product, and are you able to sell across state lines or internationally? Yeah. So the FDA and the TTB are two totally different entities. So the TTB uh, is is the old ATF. So they they govern the alcohol part of it. With soy sauce, it's not an alcoholic beverage. There is a minimal amount of alcohol produced during fermentation, but it, it cooks itself off. Um, the uh, you know the state of Kentucky made it pretty easy you know in those early years to produce and to get your product to market uh, offered a and they still do offer a lot of guidance as far as uh, labeling you know regulations you know the language on the label you know how it's presented to the consumer and so those are all things that I had no idea about that mm. they were extremely helpful with. Uh, distribution of consumer good products like specialty foods, um, it's challenging, right? Because you can have the best product in the world in your mind, but you've got to convince people of that same thing. Um, and you've got to convince the people to, to buy it. And then you've got to encourage the consumer, once it gets on the shelf, to make that purchase. Mm. Um, you know... As we've grown, like I have over 75 products now. Whoa. Yeah, I mean, well, Bourbon Barrel Foods wasn't a name that was in my business plan. I wrote a business plan for one product, yeah. making soy sauce. It was called Bluegrass Soy Sauce Company. Um, it just was, at one point, I'm like, right, I gotta figure out how to pay for this. So I started doing some bourbon smoked spices, some other barrel-aged sauces, things that I could have done in less than six months. Um, the timing of it was great. The research that I had done leading into that set me up to have some success with that. You know, writing that business plan and uh, understanding FDA regulations on labeling and you know, getting. Uh, making those connections with buyers and distributors uh, was Im important work that I did. Um, you know, I, I tried to keep the companies separate for a while. At one point, my accountant said, this is one company. You know, this is a nightmare trying to keep them separate. So it's bourbon barrel foods. The soy sauce is our most popular. Um, you know, a few years ago, I extended the line because of experiences I had in Japan where I saw producers, you know, making a straight shoyu, like soy sauce, but then they also had a double fermented, you know, uh, a smoked mm. or a ponzu. Um, and we've had a lot of success with those. Like, I, it, they're more expensive to make, um, but they create a line now. And, you know, the smoked is popular with our 
you know, our, our customers, our consumers that buy off the shelf, the double fermented is a chef favorite. Soy is now in everything. Like you can't pick up a snack product really without seeing like soybean oil or soy as an additive as like a vegetable protein. Um, and, you know, there's folks probably if, if they pay attention to food or agriculture have heard of Monsanto. You've been really clear that um, you're using non-GMO soybeans. So I'm wondering about like the, the decision for that, if it impacts the quality, and then also, not that you need to answer for this, but if you're aware at all of like, I guess the ethical growing of soy, because as, as it becomes so popular, I, I've heard stories of like deforestation in Brazil and stuff like that. So is, is that something that you're also thinking about? All the time. Yeah. And I think it's important for us, you know, to know where our food comes from, what we're eating, you know, how it's grown. All those things are extremely important for us with our diet. I look at it the same way with the products that we produce. So I want total clarity with my, with my customer about how and how we do things and where we source our ingredients from. I didn't feel the need, you know, you had talked about the FDA earlier and navigating that. Um, you know, in 2006, becoming certified organic, uh, there were a lot of hoops to jump through. Mm. And what I saw in the marketplace was that it was, it was product differentiation a lot of times. Um, I felt like, you know, you can't be organic if you're not non-GMO. Um, so I felt like I had covered that. And then with making it in a very responsible way, uh, it's said enough for us. I didn't feel the need to be organic. You know, it, it, uh, it, it is a, a high quality product you know, that, uh, you know, we're very transparent with our supply chain on everything. Um, you know, and that thinking transcends into all 75 of our other products. Mm. You know, our, you know, one of my favorite things that we do is a bourbon smoked paprika. Um, we had a question come in from a customer, you know, where's your paprika come from? So we asked our, our, our distributor, you know, well, one of these five countries, that wasn't good enough, and it's not good enough. And so we found a grower in Las Cruces, New Mexico, oh. grows our paprika domestically. It's hand harvested. It's not machine harvested. You know, it's, I've visited the farm. I mean, it's not a small operation, right. but there's a lot of attention to detail and, and ethics and how things are done out there that it's the type of relationship that we want for our products. In the very early days of doing the podcast, and again, I'm not some major media outlet or something, but I was excited to have anyone. So whomever would have you know, decided to talk to me, I'm like, yeah, great, we'll do an episode. Uh, I've gotten to a point now where I can sort of pinpoint specific people in industry. So there's a fish sauce company called Sun Fish Sauce that make just a freaking killer product and reached out to, to him and had him on. Um, and, you know, I was talking to your team for a little while, so I was really excited to, to get this one, you know, in the books here because I think what you're doing is really original. And, again, we have your stuff at home, and that salt is salting our rice water and our pasta water. It's going into eggs. It's going on steaks. It is, I, I'm, I'm saying, like, 
I use it, right? I'm not... I, so I'll, when you I'll, put it in your pasta water, does the smoke all collect around the edge of the pot? Oh, my God, does that happen? Yeah. It's like, it's so, like we use our smoke spices in our barbecue sauce. And everyone's like, why is it so dark at the top? It's like, that's the smoke. I think... But, like, when I'm doing my pasta water, depending on what color the inside of your pot is, like, mine's white, I can see where the smoke is, like, as the salt dissolves, that has to go somewhere. It collects on the sides. Oh, no, I turn on the pot, and then I walk away until okay. <laughs> after it's boiling. I, I look at it next time. <laughs> I think I have no joke if, like, notice it coming out of my pores when I'm working out after we <laughs> eat. I'm just like, this is not the actual smoke, but, like, the scent of it. Um, but I say all that to say that uh, this is an exciting product, and this is an exciting conversation for me. I, I closed Chad's conversation, as I closed so many, with what's next, and... Prior to, to talking to Chad, I had had this, this group on in New York called um, The Coffee Project, and they're amazing, and I had said to them, what's next? And then they were like, I don't know, we're content. And immediately I was like, okay, and Leslie and I have this conversation all the time that like, oh, I've got this capitalist mindset, right? Like, what's next, what's next, what's next? Keep producing, keep, keep doing. Um, but thinking about it a little more this morning in preparation for that conversation, I think also a part of me thinking through that is I'm like, well, there's a brilliant mind behind some of these things or like an incredible work ethic. And I want to see more from those people because again, it's the Bourdain thing. It's like, oh my God, in the absence of Bourdain, we're robbed of whatever creative genius would have continued throughout the course of his life. So um, I'm going to put, a, that's a very long defensive way of posing that question to you. Is there no, something that's next? Yeah, well, always. And so to your question, um, I think that that, you know, what it is, it comes down to what that person wants out of what it is that they've created. Hmm. Um, contentment is, is not a bad thing. Um, you have to decide what it is that you want personally. And for me, I want to keep growing. You know, I have, I mean, this drives me uh, creatively, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, creating these things makes me whole. Um, I did an interview earlier this year where it came up and I had never really thought of it this way before. It's like every year I feel like a first year entrepreneur, mm. which is a luxury that a lot of entrepreneurs, like, they, they lose it. You know, they create something, it becomes a big thing. They're no longer in the mix, in the day-to-day, -day, creating, solving problems, you know, climbing walls, breaking through walls. And I'm in a great spot where I can continue to grow. And that's what I choose to do. I have a team that helps me with yeah. these decisions. Um, it's not all gut feeling and emotion anymore, but I would say, you know, that is involved in a lot of it. You know, our soy sauce production is limited. So what's next for me? We're expanding production. Mm. You know, I don't see any problem in expanding production, doing things in a more efficient manner. Um, I want to make more. I want to make more product. I want to grow this company. There's a legacy to the company that I don't want to have die with me, mm. whether I sell it or, you know, the romantic in me, it's like sees my kids carrying it on, but my passion does not have to be theirs. Right. They don't have to do this, you know? Um, 
so I am investing in the growth, in the legacy of the company, you know, in bourbon barrel foods, in bluegrass soy sauce. You know, it, uh, it, this year, that's the plan. You know, we currently brew and age in barrels. You know, I am increasing our production by 500%. Wow. Yeah. Um, I always have new products coming out because in our business we have to remain relevant. And so, um, you know, it's, it's a what's working, what's not. Well, more often in our case, it's like everything works and is worth keeping. They might be a lost leader. They might be a dog, but they deserve to be in the mix. You know, it's, it's a delicate balance. Um, but we, you know, I think to your question, um, what's next for me is, is continuing to grow. You know, more markets. Um, we've never advertised the soy sauce. It's all been organic, and we've been very fortunate to have that kind of publicity for this product, but I think it's because it's so unique. Um, I might spend some money on it next year and uh, really push it out there and grow it, you know? I mean, that's what I want. Well, that's exciting. I mean, I, I'm constantly seeing people I have these conversations with go on to do really incredible things. We were just looking this morning, a, a couple of folks I've had have just gotten some really positive press in New York and, um, you know, that makes me happy and proud and excited for them. So, uh, thanks for doing this. I'm going to, whoever's listening in your Spotify app and your Apple iTunes, whatever, go to the app and I'll have a direct link to the Instagram, to the website, uh, check that out to follow that growth and then have people stop by the shop and say that uh, TV TV sent you. So thanks so much for doing this. No, thank you. Cool. That's a wrap, folks. Episode 214 is in the books. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you again, Emily. Thank you, Chef L'Oreal. Thanks, Les, whose voice you hear on here again. We had a great time. We ate so well. We had to walk it off afterwards. We went walking through the uh, the cemetery here, which is really wild. But it's 75 and sunny and beautiful, and we had a great day. Thank you, Voyagers, as always, for tuning in. Please do all the good stuff, you know, like, subscribe, rate, review, tell a friend. Lots more cool stuff coming your way. All right. As always, please, please, please take care of each other. I'll catch you very, very soon.